Hi, welcome back to another episode of You the Mother podcast by Abby Williams, a space dedicated to supporting, empowering, and connecting all parents in all seasons of parenthood. You can find more supportive content over on Instagram and TikTok at You the Mother. And be sure to check out youthemother.com where you can reach out to work with me one on one or sign up for my group coaching. In today's episode, I am welcoming on Dr. Morgan Francis. Dr. Morgan is a doctor of clinical psychology and a licensed mental health therapist. Dr. Morgan is the founder of Scottsdale Premier Counseling and specializes in the treatment of body image, eating disorders, relationships, sexual health, and grief. Her mission is to break through the mental health shame game. Dr. Morgan is a mother of three and resides in Scottsdale, Arizona with her husband of 13 years. In today's episode, we talk all about body image and eating disorders. We talk about our relationship with food and how our body is supposed to go through changes as we grow older. Dr. Morgan teaches us how to model a positive body image for our children and how we can discuss body image, the do's and don'ts for parents when it comes to body image and food. You can find Dr. Morgan over on Instagram at Dr. Morgan Francis. You can also find her on her website, www.scottsdalepremiercounseling.com. She is also giving our listeners a 20% discount on her online course called Intuitive Eating, Getting Your Life Back by using the code GETYOURLIFEBACK20. You can also sign up for her free mindful messages by texting 480-605-1738, where you will get text message support for your mental health. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode, and if you do, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. Your support here on the podcast always means the world to me, and I so appreciate you being here. So let's get started in supporting you, the mother. Dr. Morgan, welcome to You, the Mother podcast. I'm excited that you are here joining us today. Um, I think we enter into motherhood and maybe we go through some changes with our bodies. And I know a lot of women struggle with body image issues. Um, So I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you for joining me again. First, tell my listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to dive into this conversation because I feel like we can have so much to talk about. Um, And yes, I am a licensed therapist. I'm here in Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm the owner of Scottsdale Premier Counseling, which is a private practice. And I see families and individuals, teens, uh, adults for therapy. And I specialize in the treatment of eating disorders body image, relationships, grief and loss, and trauma. So I've, I've been in this field for 20 years, so I've seen it all. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, Dr. Morgan, will you talk to us about how diet culture shows up in our lives? What does that mean? What is diet culture? And why is it here? <laughs> yes. So diet culture is basically the system that puts a pedestalization of bodies. And we tend to see the top tier of bodies be thin, fit, white bodies. And all bodies that don't fit the mold of what diet culture is deeming as the most attractive 
at our current time, um, like this typical, like this, this whole beauty ideal, um, anything that doesn't match that beauty ideal is then oppressed. So we see the oppression of marginalized bodies. We see the praise for people that look like or have the thin fit white ideal body type and the really, I mean, there's so many problems to that, but one of the main problems is that uh, people that don't fit that mold then feel horrible about their bodies. And when we feel horrible about the way that we look, that then spills into how we feel about ourselves as a person. And so we lack self-esteem, we lack confidence, we question our decisions and our choices, and we really lose our voices. I mean, there really is like a shrinking of the self metaphorically. And so diet culture keeps people stuck. It keeps people focused on the image in the mirror. And so we are less likely to be out there creating, um, investing, learning, taking yeah. leadership positions because we are so consumed with our appearance. Mm -hmm. And so I guess like, why is dieting bad? Right. Well, I mean, if we look at it from a mental health perspective, yeah. there is no guarantee around like that the weight is going to stay off. So we know 95% of people that engage in intentional weight loss will fail. So that's like me going to the Apple store and purchasing an iPhone, knowing that 95% of the time it will not have a battery, right? I would never purchase a phone that only works 5%. <laughs> I mean, it just logically wouldn't make sense. But yet that's exactly what we are doing with dieting. Dieting. I feel like most people like don't know these like statistics though, right? They don't. Yeah. They really yeah. don't. So dieting fails, but we don't think that the diet failed. We think that we failed, right? Oh, I just didn't have enough willpower. Uh, I just didn't work hard enough. I just didn't try as much as I could have been trying. And we know that weight loss, intentional weight loss doesn't keep the weight off. And so, you know, this will come back, the weight will come back. And so then a person even feels more like a failure. And so we, what we don't talk about enough is that our bodies are meant to change shape and size, right? And there are going to be phases in your life where you're going to be smaller and there's going to be phases in your life that you're going to be larger, right? And all, there's so many factors that can affect those stages, right? Like our stress, yeah, our stress, what we're going through, grief and loss, transitions, socioeconomic factors, access to foods, um, you know, the means to be able to prepare meals versus I got to eat out of convenience because I'm so busy this week, our stress, our sleep habits, our relationship to alcohol and caffeine. You know, there's so many things that, you know, go into the stew of our, of our weight, shape, and size that we just don't talk about. Mm -hmm. And so we just think, well, if you eat less and you exercise more, then you should have it figured out and you should be really thin. And it's just not true. <laughs> if only that was, it was that simple, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Only so how can, I guess, like we kind of change our relationship with food? Because I feel like that's kind of like where 
diet culture and like dieting comes in is don't eat the pizza. It's bad. Don't eat the cake. It's bad. And, you know, we have like all these foods that we've labeled bad. And maybe you do go through some of these diets or I don't know, you cut out certain things, but then what happens when you get to the pizza, you're Mm -hmm. eating more than you needed to, or, you know, the, I don't know. Um, And so how do we, I guess, like change the relationship with food? Because I think that that's kind of the missing link. Am I wrong? Yeah, it is. It's not talked about. And I'm I'm really glad that you use the word relationship because it is a relationship. And we think about relationships, we think of trust, right? And so many of us stop trusting our bodies, right? We, something happened whether, you know, we went through something or maybe some, somebody said something about our body and, and we started to stop trusting our bodies. And really, you know, I come from the notion of being what's called an intuitive eater or using intuitive eating and following those 10 principles that uh, is, is, is highlighted and, you know, the guiding of intuitive eating. And, you know, what you talked about, about labeling foods as good or bad, it's really giving a moral value to food. And, and we, we've got to stop doing that. It's, it's not dangerous. That, yeah, it really is. Yeah. Like food isn't good or bad. You know, it's, it's <laughs> just food. You know, clearly there's going to be some foods that have more nutrients and minerals and then there's going to be some foods that don't have as much nutrients and minerals, but they're really fun and delicious. delicious to eat. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. You deserve so, to have a pizza pizza. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and so what I really try to do with my clients is identify some of these, these rules. Like what are these rules that you've been living by, right? What have you been telling yourself that, you know, you can't have? And I will often ask them like, okay, identify the three foods that you would binge on. Like you wouldn't stop eating if you had the opportunity. And so let's say it's like pizza, ice cream, and cookies. Okay. And then I say, okay, then what are the three foods that you forbid yourself from eating? Pizza, ice cream, and cookies, right? So there's, there's a relationship. So the foods that you, that you say I cannot have, right, are the same foods that you end up eating too much of. Why? Because the bo- the brain says, well, oh my gosh, there's pizza in front of me. I don't know what I'm going to eat that again because I'm never allowed to have this. So I'm going to get as much in as I possibly can right now so that I, I don't miss it, which is not true. You will miss it. And so it's the fact that you forbid yourself from having those foods as the reason why you tend to eat, overeat those foods. So I often get asked, what's the most addictive food? And the most addictive food is not the one that you think it is. It's not the pizza, the ice cream, or the cookies. The most addictive food is the one you tell yourself you can't have. Yeah. What is mine? (laughs) (laughs) And it could be like just bread in general, like pasta or, you know, um, I used to be so scared to eat pasta Mm -hmm. because I was like, oh, I can't have carbs. I can't have carbs. I've got to you know, eat like rice or not even rice, I, I, like cauliflower rice is what I was thinking about. Or I've got to have like zucchini noodles or, you know, and I don't have a gluten allergy. So again, like I want to be, you know, uh, understanding the people that, you know, maybe have a gluten intolerance. Right. But um, I was so scared to eat the pasta. And then eventually as I made peace with food, 
I mean, nothing bad happened to me. I didn't become a bad person just because I'm having, you know, uh, pasta during the day or pasta in the evening time after work. Uh, nothing, I'm not a bad person, but yet that's what we tell ourselves. Like I'm bad for eating pasta. No, I would be bad if I hurt someone's feelings, right? I would be, it'd be unkind of me to be, you know, selfish or rude to somebody. That's not, that's bad. What's not bad is eating something. And yet we feel like this horrific guilt and shame. And that's what we really have to change. Yeah. So I guess for like people who maybe yo-yo and do all the fad diets or try some of these diets, they fail because we know that that's the statistics. Diets don't don't produce great results. Um, but maybe they're having health issues. They are unhappy. They do want to get some weight off. Are there better alternative alternatives for people like that than dieting, restricting food, et cetera? Absolutely. And I love that you asked this because there is such a focus on the aesthetics, but what's not talked about is, well, the quality of my life is being compromised by my weight. So for example, I was working with a woman and we were talking about this and she's, she just said, I just want to be able to bend over and tie my shoes without feeling discomfort. Like it's, it's uncomfortable for me to be in this body size because I can't even do basic things. And so I was really proud of her for being so open and transparent about just things that me as a woman who is has thin privilege takes for granted. And so that was really great because then we got out of the whole conversation about losing weight and we got into functional. Like what, let's talk about function. And we focused on doing, um, helping her doing exercises on flexibility, strength training, walking, building her endurance. It had nothing to do about cutting out foods. It had nothing to do about starvation or limiting calories or counting your macros. We never talked about that. We talked about, let's get you, you know, being more like active because she had a, a sedentary job. Like she was basically behind a desk all day. So again, she wasn't moving her body. Oh, it's so bad. And she, again, she wasn't moving her body. So her mental health was then being compromised, right? So her getting outside and walking, her taking 10 minutes every day to stretch, her doing 15 minutes of strength training exercises was exactly what she needed to start doing. And so, yes, there are so many things, like even myself, like I really wanted to start um, adding in yoga into my you know, weekly kind of regime because of my stress and because I do sit all day as a therapist. And I mean, I have, you know, eight hour day to day. So, you know, it is important for me to use yoga to get stronger, to develop that flexibility, that muscular endurance, right? Just like my client where it has nothing to do with weight loss. Weight loss is like the byproduct or it's an afterthought to what we are really trying to focus on. And if we really are looking at identifying what that is, it's health, right? It's, it's, it's our health and it's, and it, health is a big umbrella and there's all these different things that come underneath it and weight loss, you know, just because someone's thin doesn't mean they're healthy. Right. Right. It right. really don't because that that's was the me. Case. <laughs> 
That's me. I mean, yeah, because like my husband and I go around and around about like this topic that you're talking about. Um, and I love that like you kind of brought up the word like skinny privilege because I feel mm-hmm. like that's me. We're like, I'm not necessarily healthy, but I am th- a thin person. Um, right. And my husband does struggle. He kind of yo-yos his weight a little bit more. Um, and so, you know, like whole get on like these health kicks. It's like, oh, I'm going to start intermittent fasting. I'm going to start, you know, counting this. I'm going to start doing that. And I'm like, don't do that, you know? And I'm like, so I am a clinician. And so I'm like, listen, you know, we have to just have a better relationship with food and, you know, kind of talking through some of these things with him. And he kind of gets mad at me that it's like from somebody who's never struggled with weight loss. Like you don't understand And so I guess, like, what do you say, you know, for those of us who might have, like, the skinny privilege, how can we better support those who are struggling with weight, who do want to be healthier? How do you empower them and provide them with some of this insight without it being like, oh, well, (laughs) you know, you just have to do this and then it's the easy fix. And, like, you have no idea. Well, and I love I've never actually been asked this question and I've actually yeah. talked about thin privilege quite a bit, but no one's ever yeah. said it in the way that you did. So I'm really, I actually really like the fact that you just said that. So, um, I, for me, when I'm sitting across from somebody that exists in a larger size body, I think it's very important as a clinician to talk about my thin privilege, right? Or if it was white privilege or cisgender, you know, I mean, it, we have to talk about the privilege that I've been allotted, right? And not because I did anything. Like I I didn't earn this. This is just something I was born with, right? So I need to be able to talk about the elephant in the room. And I think that that's the first thing. So if I were, you know, talking, you oh, know, I totally husband, agree. Yeah. I yeah. Totally it's agree. Like, it was like right. very uncomfortable, like kind of like, you know, with any other privilege when like you get yes. called out on it, you're like, yes, oh, that doesn't feel good. You know? And like, yeah. it stirs up some feeling in your body. And I like named it. I was like, Oof. I was like, you're right. You know? And I just completely leaned into that of, yeah, you're totally right. You know, where I could have yes. been very defensive. And, Ugh. <laughs> Yes. Well, and I like, you know, exactly. It's leaning into our uncomfortableness, but here's the kicker. If we don't lean into that uncomfortableness of our privilege, then we continue to allow the other person to stay uncomfortable. So me talking about my privilege helps the other person feel seen because now I'm admitting, you know what? I don't get it. I, I have not experienced you know, the treatment that you've experienced. I I can walk into a doctor's office, right? And if I go in for, you know, let's say a headache, they're not going to tell me, well, really, I should start watching my diet. And that would be, and that would help my headaches, right? If if I was a large size person and I walk in and I say, I have have these migraines, they're going to say, well, if you lost weight, then you would be able to get rid of your headaches, right? The weight is always what's focused on, not the actual medical symptoms that are happening, right? So we know that there, that the, like the stigma is 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 thick in the medical field. So I think first and foremost we have to just call out the privilege. The second piece is tell me more. Tell me more what it's been like for you. Tell me more about how this has been so frustrating for you. How, you know, you try and try and try again, 
which, you know, we all know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. You keep trying these fad diets. You keep trying these different, like, you know, things is the, the clickbait is what I call it. The, the media clickbait thinking, it clickbait, that it's yeah. Going to, yeah, thinking that it's going to produce these long lasting, you know, lifestyle changes. And when it doesn't, you get depressed, you get sad, you lose the hope. So what if we stopped clicking on the bait and what have we made changes in our sleep? What have we made changes in the level of stress we have? What have we made changes in our, in our movement? What have we made changes in how we prepare food, where we grocery shop? You know, when we are wanting foods out of a convenience, you know, what foods can we choose? Right. And so, you know, it's just looking at like those kind of lifestyle things, not so much as, um, and then also coming to a place where, yeah, like my body's changed and there's nothing we can do about it. And that's just the biological genetic like makeup of my body. And yet my body's doing so many um, other amazing things, like keeping me alive, um, that has nothing to do about the way that I look. Yeah. It's been really nice, like after kind of having some of those conversations with him, because both of us do have like more sedentary jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, We've been walking together every day. We've been doing yoga after we put the kids to bed. We do like a yoga, just the two of us. It's like really connecting and nice. And I'm like, you know, well, we both need this for different reasons. You know what I mean? And being able to really like support each other and like lean in has been really nice. So just some tips oh, for you That's guys. really nice. So the yeah. connection happened. That's really mm-hmm. special. Yeah. Yeah, it is nice. Um, so I want to like kind of circle back to some of our mamas that are listening um, because I know that we've kind of talked about our bodies go through changes. Maybe it's age. Maybe it's pregnancies. Maybe it's both. Um, you know, and I think that there's a lot of women who go through pregnancies, postpartum, now I'm on the other side, maybe you've had back-to-back pregnancies or more than one. And now my body doesn't feel like mine anymore. I don't like my new body. Maybe some things have changed. You know, for me, like my hips are forever going to be bigger. I will never wear like my pre-pregnancy pants because my body, Mm -hmm. I I don't know what happened. Right. But so like, you know, I don't believe in this like bounce back culture. Mm -hmm. That we have for moms, you know, because I think like so much of us changes and it's not just our pant size, like us to the core changes. Mm. And so how can we kind of rephrase that? Like, I'm not trying to get back to who I was. I'm trying to be who I am now. And Mm. instead of bouncing back, how do I move forward and love myself in my new body? Well, there's so much I want to say about this. So there's no question that postpartum, we, we just change. We change emotionally. We change mentally. We change aesthetically. And I don't feel, and maybe I just haven't come across it, but to my knowledge, I, I never had enough conversations that would prepare me for something that I didn't know, like the outcome to, right? Like there wasn't a handbook, there wasn't a book, there wasn't anything to say, yeah, your skin's going to look like the color of your skin's going to change. The texture of your skin's going to change. The elasticity of your skin is going to change on different parts of your body. And I really feel like 
it's just like this shame. And like, to me, when we don't talk about things is because of the shame that we have, right? Shame lives in secrecy, silence and judgment. So because we feel so ashamed about these changes, we don't talk about them. So there's not enough resources and books and, and like, you know, podcasts and enough where we're saying, you know, God, it sucks. Like this, this is not what I signed up for. I didn't know that I would have like this, like meaning like grabbing my stomach, right. Or these these extra weight on my body or my breasts would completely change like shape and size. I miss my boobs so much. Right. Exactly. I mean, we just don't talk about it. And, um, and yet what we do talk about is bouncing back. Mm -hmm. What we do see sold to us is you know, getting back into your pre like post, you know, prepartum, you know, clothes and, and, and getting your body back. So that's, what's the focus. Like, no, no, no. It's not okay for you to feel like yuck. You need to be working hard and very quickly, right. In like less than 30 days, like for you to, you know, get, get back into a bikini, and this is sold and marketed to us at the most vulnerable time when we are hormonal, when we are sleep deprived. Yeah. When we are, when we are grieving and really what I talk to women who are in this place is we've got to grieve. We have to grieve the fact that we have lost a part of what we thought we'd always have. We lost the part of maybe our bodies. We lost the part of our freedom. We lost the part of our independence. We lost the part of ourselves, right? And I am very open when I found out that I was pregnant with my first child and I love all my children. This is not a negative when I say this. I wasn't one of those people that was like, oh my God, I'm so excited. I was like, oh my God. And I started to just bawl. I started to cry in that bathroom. And it was because I was like, there's so much loss that's happening. And I felt this enormous amount of grief, like, okay, I'm not my, like, I'm going to go through this change and I'm not going to come out who I was on, you know, the other side, I'm going to come out a completely different person. And I don't even know if I'm, if I'm going to like that person or I'm going to like the way that I look, but I've got to work on her, right. I've got to get that support system going. So I think a lot of it is that it's unfair that we are preyed upon by the patriarchy, by social media, by the diet culture industry to say that if we just lost the weight, that we would be back to feeling good about ourselves again and be the best mothers in the world. Because it's not, it's a lie. Yeah. It's not the magic wand. No, no. It's like that with a lot of things, right? Like the number on the scale, the number in your bank account, you know, I just feel like so many people are like, if I just get here, then I'm going to be happy. And it's like, no, you got to start being happy right here. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's moving the shift. Like, you know, how do people get through this? It's Mm -hmm. one of the things, like one of the tools I teach people is take the focus off of the aesthetics and move it over to the function. So what I mean by that is I don't have fat arms. I have human arms, right? I don't have disgusting, ugly cellulite legs. I have legs that are helping me walk every day, helping me to stand, helping me to carry things, helping me to move, jump, run, skip, ride a bike, whatever it may be, right? Like I have to focus on what the function is of my body. So function over form or function over aesthetics, 
and, and, and being, being more in tune. Like I don't have a fat stomach. I have a stomach that carried one of a life two gave birth and three is the mother of everything. Right. And you know, my stomach digests tons of food. My stomach is, gives me that gut instinct, you know, like it, it alerts me when something just is feeling a little bit off or, Hey, pay attention to this. Um, my stomach is the core, right. That supports all of my organs. My stomach is the place where I really have those amazing belly laughs, right? Like when I'm in the moment of joy and I'm just laughing uncontrollably that happens in my stomach, right? So it's, it's making peace. It's moving away from shifting out of the, the, the thinking and the thought process of how my body looks to what my body helps me to do. And what we see when we focus on that is that we don't feel as bad. We move to body neutrality. Body neutrality is not about falling in love with your body. And, and I think you said that a little bit ago is like, you know, how do we fall back in love or something like that? Some of us may, never, never will. So, but what we don't have to have happen, we don't have to have our body be a source of stress. We don't have to have our body be the source of pain. So body neutrality is a much more uh, accessible end goal than falling in love with your body. If you're falling in love with your body, more power to you. The Sonia Renee Taylor, love her to death. Body's not apology. One of my favorite books. I, I appreciate her so much. And I think that that is something that we kind of, we start to work towards, not just staying in, you know, body neutrality is more like, I, I'm just, I'm not thinking about it. It's not, it's not good. It's not bad. It's just not on my radar. It's not on my mind. I guess that's where I live. Yeah. Cause I like joke with my friends. I was like, I guess I just don't look in mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> where like I just like have this version of like what my body looks like in my head and then I'll like order clothes and you try it on and you're like so that just doesn't work with your body shape <laughs> you know and just like you know I don't know so there's different clothes for different bodies or some things look more flattering on certain shapes and I try to buy clothes that I don't know, maybe would have looked prettier when I did have boobs and now I don't, you know, and you're like, well, now this just like hangs on me. Um, mm -hmm. But I just, yeah, I would joke with my friends. I think I just avoid mirrors because I have no idea that this is like my reality. But I think maybe it's more of this body neutrality that you're talking about where like, I don't love or hate my body. I just live. Yes. But yeah. I do like acknowledge that that's a privilege of being a thinner person and, you know, how hard it could be for some to get to that space and some work that you do to get there. Um, so I also wanted to touch on um, talking about our bodies or some of this diet culture stuff that maybe adult women go through and how we can break some of those cycles for our tiny people? How can we make sure that we're not passing that down to our kids? What are some things that maybe we can start saying or doing that changes this next generation and how they view their bodies? Oh, that's a great question. So one of the, the things I get asked the most from parents, specifically mothers, is how do I make sure my daughter doesn't hate her body? And really what the mother's asking me is I've always, you know, I've always hated mine or I I've been at war with my body my entire life and, and I don't want her to end up like me. And so I, 
often say it starts with you, right? Children learn through social modeling, monkey see, monkey do. And so it does not matter how often you tell your little girl, she's so pretty, you're so cute, you look adorable. If you are in front of the mirror and you are hating, you are groaning, you are disgusted with your body, she's going to model that with her body. Because when she looks at you, she thinks you're perfect, right? Because you are, you are her mother. You, you represent to her what she is going to become, right? Um, and so if you are hating on your body, then she's going to think then something's wrong with her body and she will internalize that. And those will be, that will be the self-talk that she will then have for herself. So if you want your child to appreciate her body, then you've got to start appreciating yours. And that is the real talk I have with the moms. So the only way we can change behavior is to begin with awareness. So I encourage, you know, moms to start becoming aware of their language, of their talk. Um, <laughs> I, uh, it's funny because in my house, we, we don't talk about, like, we just don't have diet talk. It's not something, it's just not there. Um, and my husband he purchased um, like gluten-free bread and we don't have allergies in my home. So I was like, why do we have gluten-free bread? And so I, I, I went, I'm like, why did you get this? He's like, I, I just bought the wrong one. And so when, when I was saying this, you know, my daughter was like, well, what's gluten-free? Why are people have gluten-free? And so I would explain to her that some people have gluten-free just because of, you know, taste and preference. Some people have gluten-free because of allergies and so I noticed that this was the first time I've actually was kind of talking about, you know, weights and diets and things like that, because we just don't talk about it. So for people that live in homes where it's constantly talked about, it would be foreign to that child to not talk about it. Right. And so that's where it's like, we have to create that awareness, right? We have to create awareness of how we talk about snacks right? Like you've had enough. It's not time to eat yet. You, you know, you can't have a snack. It's four o'clock or you, you only, you know, you can't have dessert. You, you know, we, there's so many messages and there's so much fear. I, I feel like that is installed, um, by the media about like feeding your kids, like these bad things, or you're a bad mom because you let them have McDonald's or, I mean, it's just horrible, you know, and I feel bad for all the moms that are being preyed upon around this. Um, and so I think so much of it, we're trying to make sure that our kids are healthy. We're giving them the right nutrition. At the same time, your kid's not going to die if they have McDonald's, no. right? Like you're, you're right. Like you're Go okay. Get happy meal. You're fine. <laughs> right. Like it's all right. Like, yeah. so I just, I think it's just, again, creating the awareness in the, in the first place. And then for, for a mom, it's wanting to dig in deeper. Mm -hmm. It's getting, then the second step is to get curious. Meaning like who told me that my body was bad? Where did I learn that the way that I looked was wrong or ugly or who told me that I was fat? or that I needed to lose weight. And most of those things, like those questions, 10 out of 10 times, it's during their childhood. They had it from a classmate. They had it from an uncle, a grandparent, you know, someone that is in their circle, 
told them that there was something wrong with their body. And so that gets internalized. And so they live their life, right? Those, those really important younger years, they live their life hating their stomach, hiding their breasts, covering up, feeling ashamed, comparing themselves to other classmates that maybe are thinner or look differently than they do. And this is a really strong pain point for so many people. And so now it's like when they become a mom, they don't want their child to go through what they went through. And I understand the protectiveness. I understand that you don't want your child to be, you know, exposed to, you know, fat phobia or weight discrimination. I get it. And we have to go back and heal the little child within you, the little inner you that that was not okay. That was wrong for that classmate, for that uncle, for that grandparent to say that to you. And we are no longer going to give them any more of your power. In fact, you're going to take that. They're going to take that back. Right. And you are going to empower yourself by starting to make amends with your body because you've never had a bad body to begin with. Right. So that's really the process that I work through with someone. And then we develop the third piece is we develop compassion, right? Self-compassion, compassion for the younger, the younger part of us and the adult part of us, right? And validating the pain, being kind to ourselves, talking to ourselves as if we were talking to our kiddo or a friend that we love, right? And, and being, moving away from the inner critics and moving towards compassion. Yeah, I love that. There's so many cycles that I think our generation of parents are breaking. And I hope that this is one, you know, and I hope that then like there becomes all these like shifts, you know, like once these things are like healed, the diet culture can go away. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like maybe the next generation will be like, we don't need this because we love our bodies. We were raised by a generation of parents that were, you know, praising these things. Maybe then there will be some more shifts in the future. I don't know. (laughs) But, you know, I think that, like, change happens in our homes. And so it's important. And it's powerful to be breaking some of those cycles just for you and your family. And there is ripple effects on everything that you do. So it's important. Yeah. Dr. Morgan, thank you so much for joining me and having this conversation. Um, I know that you have so much more resources and insight. Can you tell people where they can find you? Yes, absolutely. So I'm on Instagram at Dr. Morgan Francis. That's probably the the easiest place to find me. And I have tons of podcast interviews that I've done that people can listen to. They can listen to my own relationship with my body and my eating disorder that I've been in recovery for like 20 plus years from. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I also have what's called mindful messages, which are just free text messages that you can sign up for um, to get, you know, support around your mental health doesn't have to be body image that I have as a free resource for people. I have handouts as well on my Instagram that they can download. So plenty of ways to get free resources and, you know, psychoeducation from me. Um, And thank you again for having me on your podcast. This was a great conversation. I feel like we could have gone on forever, you know? (laughs) So thank you again. Yeah. Thanks, Dr. Morgan. And thank you for helping me support you, the mother.